0: Well, today on the podcast, we have back again for the second time, Robin Blanford from D4H. How are you doing this afternoon, or I guess for you this evening, Robin?
1: It's evening, yeah. I'm in Dublin, Ireland. Uh, good evening, Mark. How are you doing? All good here. I'm just just back from uh, visiting Virgin Islands Search and Rescue in the Caribbean.
0: Oh, that must have been uh, a tough, tough go, eh? <laughs>
1: It, it was incredible um we do they they just became uh, d4h users for a decade and so we decided to use them and you can't be far off that now but um we we, tr- we decided to to host our annual Gathering there which is where we get the entire crew of d4h is just about nearly about 20 of us now uh, in one location once a year and so we had the hard job of chartering yachts in the British Virgin Islands and sailing around for a few days and going to visit their lifeboat stations and doing some, uh, joint, joint training scenarios where they came and set up some injuries and things for them to come and board our, our yacht. Um, I, I, and so the, our team could see how they work and, and what goes on. It was, it was fantastic.
0: Yeah, that's wild. I mean, I'd like to talk to you a bit about d 4 h stuff, but obviously I chat a little bit about the, uh, lifeboater, uh, coast guard or whatever their term down there in the virgin islands would be pretty interesting as well and you say they've been on d4h for a decade
1: they're a decade now yeah um so they they were looking for a, a platform to manage all of their incident records all their training all their equipment and we found the original emails going back 10 years ago where they they came in and and uh took a trial of our software and so it was uh, I remember them coming in and thinking, "Wow, that's that's pretty remote usage of it." Um, and then when we went there, it really was. I mean, these guys are operating out of uh, on the island of Tortola. It's a, a small island, small population. Um, and they they provide an incredibly professional service as volunteers. So, probably about a 200 people across their two two lifeboat stations. Incredible boats. It's it's modeled on on so sort of the. International Maritime Rescue Federation standards, uh, and the, and they provide an incredible res- rescue service to the islanders and sailors in the Caribbean. There,
0: well, that's wild. And um, now, you say like they're on the island. So, like, what kind of boats are they running? Like, what are like are they comparable to a North American or a European kind of model, or are they doing something completely yeah. on their own?
1: Um that so I mean it's a standard hull I think it was a Baltic 1000, so it was eleven. I think it was an eleven meter rib with I'm gonna say twin four hundreds. I may have that wrong. Um it was a, a really nice, really nice boat. Their newer boat again in Virgin Gorda, which is another another smaller island, is is even more impressive again. Um but they're yeah, they're they're kind of rigid inflatable boats with with outboard engines, but they're they're big boats, they carry uh, helm, second helm for coxswain and helm, and uh, two medics, and they they go out like a, an ambulance in the water to, to the thousands of sort of charter boats and and yachts out in the Caribbean around their area. So
0: are they both rescue and medical? Then are they putting rescue swimmers yeah. like into the water? Um,
1: and they, know, I'd, I'd say they try and avoid. I'd, I'd say they avoid getting in the water where they can. But uh, they 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 send the boat out. Yeah, they go out in the boat. There's no helicopter. The only helicopter near them, there's one in the U.S. Virgin Islands, which is the the next nearest. So they're really there's no aviation rescue at all. There, it's just boat. And they're busy. They do, I think they said they do 300 plus calls a year, of which about about 80 the boat actually gets 80 to 120 the boat actually gets wet. So they actually launch the boat. Um, But that's volunteers leaving their jobs and going but they run it as an EMT service as well. So they've qualified EMTs on board. Um, and it, it's a serious service considering, you know, the Island only operates two ambulances in total. Um, they've got, I think they said they've 78 EMTs who volunteer on the lifeboat with them. So they they have a considerable resource base there uh, to provide rescue services. It, it was extremely impressive.
0: Well, that's wild too, because I mean, with only two ambulances on the Island, they have two boats. I mean, they're batting one for one on that
1: <laughs> yeah and uh they say when they, they request an ambulance they often don't get it because it's busy and uh yeah they'll they'll when they when the when the casualty comes in in the boat they'll just drive them to the hospital themselves continue care of themselves because the yeah it, it's that kind of place island life um everything everything moves slow as we as we we experienced when we were there it's a different pace of life
0: Well, I mean, even that, to be fair, I live in the third largest metropolitan area. Well, I don't live there anymore, but I work in the third largest metropolitan area in Canada. And there's times we're waiting an hour for ambulance when we're running medical calls Mm -hmm. on fire. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, it seems to be a bit of a worldwide phenomenon right now. For sure. And I was just looking, Rob, and you say that, you know, they've been on there a decade. Our oldest report goes back to 2008 in D4H. Nice. So I think one of the originals there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, D4H is 15 years old this year. Uh, So you're closing in on that. They're pretty close.
0: Oh, there you go. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I guess, why we wanted to have this chat with you. So a bit of a segue into it. I also volunteer with Search and Rescue up where I live in the interior of British Columbia. And BC SAR is on, BC Search and Rescue, BC SAR is on the D4H platform. And I was doing a program up in a place called Kimberley, a little ski town up in the Canadian, you know, Southern Canadian Rockies kind of thing in the uh, off of highway three. And I'd never seen your incident management parts of D4H before. I mean, I, obviously I use it with SAR and we have certain aspects of it. We use it with Ronan. We have certain aspects of it. And they pulled out this incident management suite on this program that I was taking. And I was, I was actually like, hey, you know, I've been I've been dabbling with this for a while. What is this? And uh, (laughs) that kind of led to that conversation, that call with you to have you back on the podcast and maybe just kind of talk that out. Like, what is that incident management suite?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, about eight, nine years ago, we noticed that people started using our incident reporting tool during an incident. So they were filling in filling in their paperwork effectively in real time before going home. And that's all well and good to do, but if you have two users doing it, you're overriding each other. you know so you're you're saving on top of each other. It's like both editing a word document and and then have, getting out of date. So we thought, let's build a tool for collaborative editing. And that turned into let's build a tool that will help manage an incident. And that stepped all the way up into a full now emergency management platform that helps step a team through a structured response to an incident. So what happens in this, you, you have a couple of different modes within it. You've, you've both full incident management mode or you've got a control room mode. Um, the control room is for, in like a 24 seven control room. And we've lots around the world, lots of different rescue organizations use that, whether they're private facilities kind of a mix of of, of rescue, security, medical, uh, through to national coast guards use it. You'll see some of the video recordings on YouTube of, of us doing work with, with Coast Guard New Zealand, for example. But uh, this is a full control room facility. that You can escalate incidents up into incident management, which is what you, you would have seen. Incident management helps you uh, really have a, a a cloud-based solution. So that's from your web browser or through the mobile apps where you can sign in remotely or while you're together on, on scene scene and record notes and information together. So we step people through defining a really clear situation. What are you dealing with? And that form may be a ICS 201 if you're doing ICS or it may be your own version of that, but a very clear situation report. What is it we're doing? What are we dealing with? What are our objectives? And everybody can see as you type, as you go. The whole platform has an audit trail. So it's capturing every version change, who contributed what information at any time. And that really forms the basis of your after action report too. As you keep going through that, you know, you've defined the situation. What's next best practice is to look at the roles that you need to resolve the situation and then start applying resources into those roles for each of the assignments you've come up with. So, we we really step people through a very structured response to an incident, and it comes with all those map uh, tools around like mapping, GIS tools, um, all the chronological logging, you know, easy to share situation reports or any other form all your ics forms and your incident action plan as pdfs or by email you can create public links to share with other agencies it's a it's a highly adaptable tool
0: a couple of questions with that like i know in north america we use the ics system obviously um is that worldwide being used now or is i mean i know britain used no, to be a gold silver bronze system exactly, or whatever yeah
1: yeah, I, 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 so I would say that uh, we see a mix around the world. So, And there's kind of adaptations of it. Australia, you're getting the Australian incident management system, AIMS. New Zealand, you're getting the coordinated incident management system, SIMS. Um, and each other countries that are well-developed have tend to have their own form of for that. And as you said, gold, silver, bronze command in the UK. Now, we still see sometimes... People taking, say, that incident ICS, as you know, the ICS 207 org chart. And using that sort of operations, logistics, planning, um, intelligence, administration, all those kind of branches, we'll still see quite, quite common, but they then won't go into all the forms below that. So that you wouldn't see the same amount of form filling. And and ICS in itself is quite interesting. You know, it was developed around paper and it's structured around pages of paper. And it's quite interesting as a project for us to take, we've been taking that and saying, well, how do we follow a best practice of ICS but in a digital world where we're not limited to sheets and forms, um, still managing the same information and you know uh, putting together the same incident action plan in some form. So it's, it's, it's a very interesting proposition there versus just replicating paperwork.
0: So can you expand into that a little bit? Like, I mean, Most of the listeners on this side of the pond will understand the ICS system and understand the paper-based system. I mean, Mm -hmm. even when I deployed this summer to wildfires as a city firefighter to uh, the wildland side, you know, it's all paperwork. Like, I'm handing in daily time reports every day. I'm getting a written IAP out to me every day. I'm signing in Mm -hmm. on, you know, cards and putting them in. So – I and mean, can you kind of elaborate on when you say that you're you're taking this and making it digital based?
1: Yeah, I mean a, a good example of that is let's take the two fourteen form. So your activity log, and so that'd be typically two columns: date your date at the top of the page and a time column, and then a what you know significant event or activity or decision was made. And um, if you were doing that digitally, you'd have something closer to WhatsApp, right, where you can just type in a message at the bottom, really easy, press post press post, press post. It would be automatically time stamping, And that's you as an individual contributor. But if you're the incident commander, you've got 214s coming from everywhere. So not only should you see them in real time, so you shouldn't be waiting until the page is submitted at the end of the day, you should be seeing them chronologically. So as anyone's posting their updates, you're getting this combined view of all 214 posts in a, on a screen. And we call that our, our updates log. So you're, you're getting that from everyone on every activity. Um, and then... We also allow you to tag those posts against different entities. So uh let's say, for example, you're doing rapid rapid damage assessments, which um I think we've it's possibly just gone live today on our blog is a is an overview of your guys' Vancouver Task Force One uh, and how they did rapid damage assessments in the wildfires recently there in BC SAR using incident man- or D4H incident management. Um, yeah, they so, were actually right
0: beside us. We were doing the firefight and they came through after for those homes <laughs> that, uh, that we, so
1: yeah. I, that I, mean, I know
0: what you're talking about. Sorry, carry on.
1: No, so all the guys there with their mobile phones out there, driving around in vehicles, trying to map all the damage and housing, that was all being done through D4H. And I think that case study just going on our blog today. So um, what, what should be happening there is, well, each property, when you visit it, you might have something for your 214. Well, that should not only be tagged in your log, but it should be tagged against that that address point. So that that house or building or whatever it might be, that property. So not only can you now look at all updates by team or by person or by role chronologically, but you can also filter by, say, property. So, oh, look, we visited this property four times. You know, there was two, two people rescued from there two days ago. Then we had a damage assessment come in on it. Then we had a rec- part of the recovery paperwork was filled in about recovery on a, after the damage that ass- rapid damage assessment. So, and then maybe, you know, assigning who are the actual owners of this in the system and trying to then maybe giving them permits to get back in, to get belongings, you know, so it's this whole piece around um, trying to put a structure on very unstructured data. I mean, in an, in an emergency situation, In anything like that, data coming at the EOC, at the Emergency Operations Center, is extremely unstructured. It tends to just be coming across different radio channels. And um, what's documented on paper is quite minimal, actually, compared to what's created. And we're trying to capture as much of it as possible and try to structure it so it's useful. So when that incident ends, you begin to be able to, you know, Click on a property and see everything related to it. Click on a shelter from the incident and see everyone who registered there and everything about it and all the updates, all that kind of information and try and see if we can show real time dashboards and maps and other things that help make decisions during the incident.
0: Well, that's, I mean, that's really incredible. And I, I mean, you and I didn't, we chatted beforehand, but we didn't chat about the wildfires in West Kelowna about Task Force One. And it's, it's interesting from my point of view, because I was in, there probably two days before task force showed up because they were, as you're saying, doing the RDAs, you we were doing the firefighting and there was information we passed on about hazards on different residents, bears in certain areas, gas that was still on power that was still on. Like you say, we throw it down on a 214. we get on a radio, we talk to someone about it, what have you, but we don't end up actually that they, like we don't see that information in an operational period because the IAP is being developed when we're on nights, for instance, so the day shift IEP may not have that information in it. It might be the next night or the next operational mm-hmm. cycle before that some of those hazards or some of that information that may be useful to other folks actually gets out. And that's, you know, having that in real time, I could definitely see an advantage to it.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it, it all does. And. Uh, you know, exa- another example. Every time you're mentioned in somebody's log, so if they mention another team, like you would mention in, uh, I don't know, use WhatsApp Messenger or any of these tools. If you use the at symbol and then start typing someone's name, you can mention them, and it'll send them or their team members a notification. So if if um, if I said at logistics team or at operations team, at ground unit one, whatever it might be. The, whoever's in those roles at the time, there's all that role-based logic, will get a notification by email and push notification that they've been be mentioned in the log or in a form or or anywhere. So it, it helps all of that during an incident. Now, there are other platforms out there who, who do incident management, right, as well. So why are we different? What's better? Well, we are the number one easiest to use. Um, by a long way, at g2.com, you can see all the kind of customer and user ratings of, of, of these apps and we are by far the easiest to use platform. So we've designed it incredibly simple. We spend more time saying no to things and taking stuff away and out and keeping it so simple to use that our objective is any user can sit down first time uses during an incident. You know, you get put in a role, you're told your job is to manage the shelters. Your job is to manage damage assessments or create them. And they can just sit down and do it. There's no save button on anything. You just point and click and, and it just works. Um, so that that's the first thing. The second thing is customizability so uh it, it, we're very unique in how customizable it is. um I don't know if you use any of uh the two i do you know are you familiar with notion or any tools like that mark where um they're like uh can build your own databases build your own like uh, records keeping tools and stuff like that where it's it's a little like that so we give you the tools to build your own status boards your own task boards your own everything so if you want to like a, a great example of that was during covid so everyone started their covid incidents which is we don't know what this is pandemic was the kind of incident And then they started having to build boards to capture this. Okay, now we need to track staff who are out. Now we need. Okay, now we've got a vaccine. We need vaccine vaccine distribution centers. Now we're getting batches of vaccines with different dates and brands. Now we need to track those and track where they're distributed. So you can actually build all these boards as you go in the platform, and we layer across it all of the incident management tool sets like event logs, like we discussed, like mapping. Uh, updates, um, all the exports, data sharing, all the permissioning, you know, um, and it all goes straight into the mobile app too. So it's updating those templates everywhere. It, it's, it's pretty impressive actually.
0: And that's, I mean, you say, well, I don't know what you're using now. I work for government. I use paper.
1: Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, lots of governments are coming on with this. I mean, task force one, there's an example, but um, we, we have uh our, our our customer base is probably 50-50 for this tool, private and public. Um, public tends to be uh, sort of the large incident management teams is probably the, the best description of them. So incident management teams, emergency operation centers, so emergency management agencies, and quite a few actually in your area and around Vancouver use this. It's, it's pretty popular there. Um, and then the private side tends to be things like uh, which you'd be very familiar with, with work at height, wind farms, right? So tur- uh, turbine rescues and coordinating those. So if we have an employee, a technician in a in a, a, in a a turbine and they're out in a remote site, say there's 40, 50 turbines on the site, you need a four by four to get up to them with the ambulance crew, ambulance turn up at which gate, you know, wh- at which site is this employee phoned in from that's injured up in the turbine, you know, all those pieces. So uh, in the tool, you could... What we call run a run a pre pre plan, so it it'll load all the map layers for you automatically related to this pre plan. It would um it would turn on or off all the status boards you need. Import the turbines from that site, so you can see what's impacted, um you know what's being switched on or off. You can you can really build it out to be very customizable, uh, and then track with your your users in the field could be taking photos and you're seeing them in real time. Photos and videos come back into the log. Uh, You can talk to them and they can talk to you through it and you can map out everything happening and then create shareable links to briefings and other documents that you can just give to the emergency services as they come to assist you as well. Um, We'd see a lot in healthcare. So emergency management within healthcare, that's hospitals and their clinics and everything else getting affected by by the weather mainly. So that tends to be, that's really interesting. The whole market's moved on from, from terrorism to weather. Uh, now it's the whole. Everyone's trying to solve flooding. Everyone's trying to solve extreme storms, and extreme weather. Uh, versus now, active shooter used to be the big, the big thing. Now it's this. It's it's weather. Um, we'd all see it in maritime. You know, real time instant management from ships' captain captains or tankers and um, sort of utility ships and things like that. So they're communicating back to their. Central Operations Center, and they might have an incident like piracy, they might have an incident like a, a large storm. They'd create an incident on this and then, then capture all the information, logs, everything that's happening as that progresses. So it's, it's really fascinating to be part of. Um, and, and what we're doing with it, yeah, it, it's growing extremely fast.
0: Well, and it's wild because you just mentioned some stuff. I mean, we obviously talked about the wildfires, and I obviously had some insight into more along the lines of what was going on with that. But when you talk about stuff like wind farms and shipping and stuff, so it sounds almost like this isn't just incident management, but it's also allowing private companies some access to make sure, you know, in business continuity, they may be able to forecast things that are coming to them or the duration of events that are going to be in order to, you know, be able to get their business back up and running or insulate their business from a coming threat, whatever that may Mm -hmm. be.
1: Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. And so they, they would start an incident to track something. So for example, there's this kind of whole monitoring mode and that's the control room piece I, I alluded to at the start. So we may start an incident just to monitor a large storm that's forecast. And you can turn on all the storm layers and weather maps and rain radars and wind strengths and all that kind of crap and see all your facilities mapped out with that and say, okay, how is this going to impact us? What are we going to evacuate? What are we going to do? What's been affected? And, and it steps them through the whole response to that all the way through to, to the recovery phase as well. Um, another really unique client type actually is theme parks. Um, we've we've the largest theme park now in the UK using this, and it's it's exactly what you'd expect around um, rescues off rides, roller coasters stuck, uh, evacuating passengers off them, uh, swift water rescue in in the rapids. You know, it's all of that stuff, and how they can pre-plan all of that, and then when something happens, which will move very fast in that situation, how they can capture as much data from what happened as well.
0: So this isn't just part of like the response model. This this platform sounds. It's a lot like back in my disaster and emergency management days. It's it's like pre planning, you know, response, recovery, like that whole swath of the emergency management spectrum.
1: Yep, exactly. Yep, all that pre plan building.
0: Oh, that's wild. Yeah, and like I said, I I you know just kind of ran into it and saw, and then obviously it was being used hand in hand next to me where, you know, we're running old school 214s and putting in DTRs and everything else every day old school and Task Force One, which is working on the same streets I am, is putting it all in digitally. So that's actually quite amusing.
1: <laughs> yep, there you go. Uh, one of the really nice features just launched last month is what we call extension packs. And so that would allow, well, say, for example, Task Force One, to create an extension pack themselves, which is a downloadable file, a pack file, that that they can give to anybody and share their configuration. So, like I described, you can build all your own boards are a little bit like databases if you imagine in this, and all the relationships between them. So you might have a mass casualty board, a hospitals board, an ambulances board, um, and then you know family board and all that. And so you're creating relationships between all these things in the software. Um, so you can take that configuration you've built custom configuration, you can create an extension back and you can just email the file to anyone. Anyone else can install that extension back and they've got your whole tool set. So we're seeing a lot of that flying around now. It's extremely popular in New Zealand where we're um, really the the main solution down there for emergency management now. And we see them all creating extension packs and sharing them widely. And we, we keep seeing the same stuff coming up in each account. It's fantastic.
0: That is pretty wild. Um, what else have you got on the go since the last time we've chatted? I know there was some updates to the equipment end of uh, D4H.
1: Mm, yeah, so so there's, there's some really nice pieces now where you can, I think we, we, we were mentioning before, you can, you can use RFID, QR codes or barcodes, anything, no problem. Um, and you can now, when you start an incident, whether it's an incident management or just creating a holding incident and incident reporting, you can now sign equipment out to that incident. So you can just scan QR codes or NFC tags or anything leaving the truck. So you scan them as the items go out and it starts a timer or adds quantity to consumables. So if you imagine it's creating this list on your phone as you go of what's out. As stuff arrives back at the truck or back to your warehouse or wherever it might be, you can stop the timer on them and it checks them back in and it'll add that many minutes or hours or however long they've been gone for to their usage level so it's really slick that and it shows you exactly how many times yeah you know, that chainsaw has been used or that you know um how many times that vehicle was taken or whatever it might be um so it logs them all out with times usage and consumables used too uh it's so that's
0: nice. interesting i know with the older equipment you could assign it to a task but you were mm-hmm. like, this sounds like it's actually getting down to the seconds and minutes because you're scanning it in and out after that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So it, it'll, it, it's out and in at the back of a truck or at a warehouse door. So, so that that's a nice little add on. And um, you can also move scan to a destination now. So you can take a piece of equipment. So scan a piece of equipment, press move on the app, and then scan another item of equipment and it'll move it into that item of equipment in the database. So you can kind of, scan twice to, to move something. Um, that's also pretty cool. There's a whole update coming to the inspections piece as well. We're moving from just a, at the moment, you might be familiar, if you had, say, an inspection called rope inspection, and, you know, it was monthly rope inspection. And you might say, okay, 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 not okay, okay, you know, down through your operational and serviceable needs a repair, etc. It's actually modeled quite closely off the Petzl forms at the moment is how it's done. Well, that's moving to checklist. So a step of a stepped checklist. So you would select the rope and then say, is it free from this? Is it, you know, any damage? Is there this? Is it clean? And so you're saying yes to all these little steps before the end. You can put in any comments, take any photos and then pass or fail the inspection. So that's going to give a lot more granularity to those inspection sheets
0: wow no that's that's quite exciting too because i know we end up putting a lot of stuff into our notes section just for those little odds and ends that you know a piece of a piece is broken sort of thing right it may not be out of service but it it may be you know damaged but still usable and we're waiting on parts which is a common theme these days it seems yeah um a couple other. sorry go ahead
1: no no go go for it
0: I was going to say, is there? Uh, I have a couple other quick questions, and I I didn't prompt you on these, and I know you just got off a plane, so I'll be I'll be gentle with those. But before I get into those, <laughs> um, is there anything else with D four H that's up and new? That uh, I mean, obviously, I'm missing a, a few things myself, but uh, you know, and that has come out that uh, we should know about. I I, th-
1: I think a lot of what we've been working on for the last. I'll say six months has been related around security standards. It's all quite boring to end users, but just know that your data gets safer and safer. We're, we're adding layers and levels and standards and, and all sorts of things there. So we've just been certified ISO 2701, which is a a, a big step for us in formalizing all of our information security. Um, so uh, that is where a lot of the focus has been over the last six months, which is a little boring for end users, but a good thing. And we've also done a huge amount of work for canine teams. We have a lot of police canine units, a lot of SWAT teams, bomb squads. All these guys are using canines for different things. And we've done a lot of work on helping them track all the canine attendance, training, experience, um, you know, everything around that and their profiles. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, 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 it's been an interesting uh, period of time. That sounds really wild. And
0: I mean, I can understand the whole security and I mean, from an end user point of view, it's like, hey, can you prove to me my dad is safe? And you go, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, oh, I'm quite satisfied. But that blah, blah, blah is probably like two years worth of work.
1: Exactly. Yeah, Yep. Yeah. And external audits and and all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, we I think we, we've done very well on that. And our our sort of ethos on it is to be as transparent as possible. So we have a whole status.d4h.com now that tells you every single Second of downtime, any incidents we've had, it's it's a full transparent log of how we're doing.
0: Oh, and I mean, like I said, we've been using this since 08. And we might email you folks once a year with a question, like if we, like mm-hmm. we've like broken something or whatever. And generally it's because we haven't read the updates. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there's, there's a new uh, knowledge base launched as well this year, which uh, if now if you press that question mark on the top bar, Um, It opens up a little pop-up, it's an integrated knowledge base, and it actually suggests you articles to the page you're on. So if you're on the edited equipment page on your screen, you press that little question mark, it'll bring up the knowledge base pages for editing equipment and suggest what you should read.
0: Right on. So the two questions I didn't really prompt you on, like I said, I'll be gentle, because I know you just got off a plane from my side of the pond, basically. But uh, how do you do anything with AI? Or do you see AI... Affecting this industry like the emergency management end of this in the future,
1: yeah. Good question, yes. And yes, um, so we have started AI discussions internally, we purposefully delayed them because we didn't want to be in the gold rush at the start. Because a lot of that stuff is already being backtracked on, and we want to just let it settle, and it's starting to settle now a little bit. So, initial. Initial tests with some of the publicly available um, AI tools are very promising. Uh, We've fed into them some publicly available incidents after action reports and other things to see what it could learn. And it's quite interesting in in the suggestions it comes up with. It's pretty good. Uh, We've started doing a, a. We've started doing some initial products back around, looking at how will AI kill our product rather than trying to just jam AI in for the sake of it. Um, I don't see us doing things like helping you write a, helping you suggest content to put in a part of your forum or or things like that. I think where it'll be helpful is where you sort of say, hey, I'm not sure here, suggestions, and and you're able to hit a button and it's, here's five tasks you could consider. You know, here's um, here's what you saw last time. Here's what happened next the last time, with these sort of prompts and guides for for incident commanders, rather than a, trying to take over and and AI, you'll get an AI written plan, which then all you can do is feed your AI written plan back into AI to learn again from itself. So, um, we think it's probably going to be closer to making suggestions and and prompts and using past past data that you've actually created and the decisions you've made and the timelines of those things and how those things bore out to help you on the next one.
0: So more like an aid memoir. And like you say, being able to grab that past data that you might've forgotten about and yeah, be able to come just back highly customized outcome.
1: to your history. So rather than being generic. So for example, um, I'll make, make up an example, but, um, uh, nor you know normally around six pm you you uh, turned on generators you know for lighting you know, like so like where it's actually it's looking at what happened on past incidents and saying consider you've not mentioned floodlighting yet today consider floodlighting you normally do around this time you know so it, it's that kind of like prompting people around this is what you do, this is what was good, this is what you said was bad and we're hoping across our product suite where you've we've also got the incident reports for people, which is the old after action report and all the follow-up tasks they did that we can actually learn of where they felt they needed to improve and teach it that as well and start to bring drive that into the decision making. But it's early days from our side where we're, we're very early days we're, we're watching and watching and watching. Um, being first will won't win this. Being right will win this. It's, but I, I think the I think every product will have AI in it or not exist in ten years. You know, it's a, it's the direction. This is a, a it's a seismic change equivalent to smartphones. You know, I mean, you have to go down it.
0: Wild. And then the other question is, um, are you still with? the lifeguard lifeboat society out there and if so what's anything new with that organization
1: yeah i'm 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 deputy officer in charge as a volunteer um of the coast guard irish coast guard in the Hoth harbor base so um we're a sea cliff rescue unit and we uh, we provide large largely sea cliff rescue we do have boats um we're we're, we're partnered up very closely with a local a lifeboat, the RNLI, so that's the like a, a charity you provide life saving services by boat. So we work very closely with them, as we do with our Coast Guard helicopters, um, the police, they're called the guardie here, uh, and and fire service, and I I think, uh, it's uh, very much a team effort. So our our speciality is is in sea cliff rescue. So, um, going trying to approach a casualty from the top while while the others come from the sea or or other means so um is there anything new um i would say it's advancing along nicely now um we're we're making good progress and um we're we're hoping for some exciting stuff coming but um it's been a busy time busy year and it continues year on year to go up in number of calls so um we were we remain nicely challenged and it's a, as a volunteer it's like as, as same as you do mark in in BC sara i think it's it's a fantastic hobby which has uh only only i uh, feel uh, only adds to me no matter how much i give to it i only get good things back so it's fantastic
0: yeah i mean volunteer with some rescue organizations is always it's fun it's like minded people and they're good skill sets and you know really unpaid professional people that are out there um what do you find? I mean, we spoke about this on the last podcast a little bit, but has the, the call type changed much? Like, are you still getting the, the lost hiker or the climber or the, are you getting more distraught people? Is that type of call changed at all over like since COVID's coming gone?
1: Yeah, I, I think, I mean, a lot of our calls, we're in an urban setting. We're on the, we're on the coast with large sea cliffs. So, uh you know eight 70-80 meter sea cliffs in places um 25 minutes from the city center so we get a we get a huge number of despondents self-harming uh they, they come out and unfortunately decide to end their life by by jumping off the cliffs now that is either somebody stuck crag fast so they're they've they're still conscious and they, they can't get themselves out from where they have so they land in gorse or heather bushes or, or some sort of vegetation and they're stuck there and people the, somebody hears them calling for help or unfortunately it, it can be a body recovery and from a very awkward position in like boulder fields at the bottom at the high tide line And um, so and it's all rope access to do that and we probably do we do about 140 calls for our unit a year so we're out we're normally out twice a week with something now. Not all of those are are are, are self harm, but uh, it's it's a high percent. Um, we're seeing now. I I would I would say we thought during COVID we'd see a wave of of a change of incident type, and during COVID it was all just new people in the environment. So the COVID call outs were all either I don't normally walk the beach, but I do now because there's nothing else to do, and they're getting caught by the tide. Um, you know all that kind of. stuff, so I've taken up a new sport, outdoor sporter. You know what? Swim, sea swimming, and all the kite surfing, and all these kind of things. So that was kind of the the blip during COVID was was kind of people getting themselves in difficulty. And I think the self harms from that are now only coming now. So um, as the world sort of returns back to normality, people have found that they they haven't found their um, you know found themselves again and and self harm like that is a long slow path and and um that's what we're beginning to see now where where um mental mental health issues of people are are starting to to you know um come through now from covid would be our our description so yeah it's a, it's a complete mix of things but it, it's a very rewarding role to play um and and I massively enjoy it Um, massively enjoy being able to be part of the emergency services without having to do it as my full-time full-time physician.
0: Oh, that's fair enough. And I mean, just from our side of the pond, we're seeing a lot of the mental health issues as well. And that's why I asked that question specifically, Mm. both in SAR and then, you know, obviously I work fire, uh, full-time as a profession. and, And both of those organizations, we're seeing more and more of, uh, of that type of mental health yeah. issue that's coming we've, into
1: the call now. We've done more, uh, what we describe as interventions. Actually, it's using the Canadian um, Assist, I think, is the Canadian program uh, applied suicide intervention techniques, something like that. Um yeah. that's the training training we have. And we've done more, we've done more of the, those interventions where the person's sitting on the cliff edge, standing on the cliff edge. Uh, but still alive and talking to us or the police. We've had more of those recently than ever before, um. Where well, that have been successful actually, um, uh, interventions, which is, which is great too.
0: Yeah, I mean that's the goal, and I mean at least there, I think maybe you get a little bit of peace. Problem where I work is there's a lot of bridges and it causes traffic jams, and people would rather mm. see people jump than be late for dinner.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So. Um, but I think uh, that's everything. I've had you on for a uh, little longer than I said I would. Uh, but I appreciate all the new information that just came out.
1: Well, I, I love these chats with you. I think they're great. Um, I'd say if people want more info, my LinkedIn is fant- Like, add me on LinkedIn. Love getting LinkedIn connections. So just say hi from the podcast or anything like that and uh, absolutely accept your connection. Uh, fantastic to talk to people. You reach me personally. I'm the, the CEO and founder of D4H. Uh, Or if you want to go through usual channels, d4h.com, and get a brochure or whatever you'd like to do or get a trial of it and if people want to see it.
0: Right on. Um, Yeah, so LinkedIn and, yeah, through the website to get a hold of you. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for coming on, and uh, we will chat again soon.
1: Right. Excellent. Thanks again, Mark. Always enjoy it.